0: Hello, I'm Rachel Moore, President and CEO of the Music Center. As Los Angeles' premier performing arts destination, the Music Center presents some of the world's greatest performances and provides the platform for the most innovative and creative artistic minds who set the standard for excellence. On Offstage and Unbound, I have the pleasure of speaking with many of these artistic visionaries, where we delve into their processes, Explore what inspires them, and discuss the state of the arts in Los Angeles and the world. Hello. Thank you for joining us for our podcast series, Offstage and Unbound. In this episode, we'll speak with theatrical and film director Nancy Meckler, who directed Scottish Ballet's performance of A Streetcar Named Desire in collaboration with international choreographer Annabelle Lopez-Otche. In fact, her work with Scottish Ballet was Nancy's first foray into ballet. Nancy has directed numerous plays along with feature films. As artistic director for Shared Experience Theatre, she directed such productions as Anna Karenina, Heartbreak House, and True West, and with co-director Polly Teal, Mill on the Floss, and War and Peace. As associate director of Hampstead Theatre, Nancy directed Uncle Vanya, Buried Child, and Sufficient Carbohydrate. During her three years as associate director for Leicester Haymarket, Nancy's productions included The Cherry Orchard, Macbeth, Twelfth Night, and Electra Orestes. Nancy's work for the National Theatre includes Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? and Abington Square. More recently, for the Royal Shakespeare Company, Nancy directed Comedy of Errors, House of Desires, and Romeo and Juliet, along with Onassis in the West End with Robert Lindsay. Her two feature films were Sister, My Sister and Alive and Kicking. Nancy was born and raised in Long Island, New York. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. So it's very nice to be able to join you. Excellent. We are incredibly excited to have A Streetcar Named Desire. You may not know this, but I come from the dance world, so talking to a theater person is really fun for me because the worlds are very different, I suspect. Yes. You've worked in the world of theater and film, which is all about words. What was it like to go into dance where you weren't able to use words to get ideas across?
1: Well, for many years, I ran a theatre company in the UK called Shared Experience, uh, which was an Arts Council-funded company. And we were very committed to an extremely physical uh, sort of production, where the physical side of the production was as strong as the words. I had worked a lot with the idea of sometimes doing whole scenes or sequences without words, Ah. But, of course, that was not with dancers. I was using actors. So when I got a chance to work on ballet, what was wonderful about that was that I already had some experience in trying to tell stories or at least moments without words. Now the challenge was try to do a whole story without words. But it felt like a very exciting continuation of something I've been trying to achieve in traditional theater.
0: In a certain way, there are certain movements of the body that can't be expressed in words. So you sort of got to broaden your palate in a different way.
1: Yes. Yes, and also there are things that happen in Streetcar Named Desire. For example, something like the fact that Blanche is an alcoholic and she can't stop herself and she's drinking in secret. And when you start expressing that in ballet, it it doesn't have to be done in a realistic way at all. Mm. And it can become almost like a dream sequence of her inner state. Right. You know, there are lots of things in the play that open themselves up in exactly that way.
0: When working with the uh, choreographer, Annabelle Lopez-Ocha, did you two sit down before the creative process started with the dancers and storyboard the whole play? Or how did you work together to Yes, that was what it? we
1: did. I mean, the thing is, uh, she had never done a narrative ballet before. She had done abstract ballet. She had worked in theater as well, but she'd never done a a long narrative ballet. And obviously, I had never done a long narrative ballet, but I did know the play. So we spent a week together going through the play and saying to each other, okay, how do we tell this story without words? And one of the things we realized is that Blanche Dubois has a very complicated backstory that comes out very slowly when you are watching the play. And that it is very difficult to do flashback and dance. And so we decided that we would actually start with her backstory. We would start when she was a very young girl living in the Deep South and when she thought that she had a wonderful life ahead of her. So we, we show all of her backstory right up to the moment when she actually comes to New Orleans and meets her sister's husband, Stanley Kowalski. Well, it felt quite daring because we were, I, I, we were somewhat concerned whether people would be offended by us trying to do that. But I'm glad to
0: say it seems to have worked very well. Excellent. So having worked a lot in film and theater, I would assume that there were actually great similarities between your experience in live theater and dance versus the film, which strikes me as such a different medium from working in a stage.
1: To be fair, I have had the privilege of making two feature films, but I've only made two feature films. It hasn't been a huge part of my uh, working life. The thing about film, which I found really exciting, is that when you're working on stage or telling a story with ballet, you're always trying to create a situation where the audience looks where you want them to look at any given moment Mm. to make sure that everything is guiding their eye to where you want the focus to be. When you're making film, it suddenly feels like a great gift because you suddenly think, well, I can put the camera here. And if I put the camera here, this is the way they are going to see it. So this is the point of view, or if I want it to be moody, it can be lit in a very particular way. So, once again, when I was making film, it felt to me like it was allowing me to do things that I was always trying to achieve on stage. Mm. And then, of course, because I'm really a theatre person, as a director, I was mostly concerning myself with the acting. You know, Mm. I wasn't getting deeply involved in what sort of lenses to use and how many tracking shots to have, because it wasn't a language I knew particularly well. And I took my inspiration from Ingmar Bergman because Bergman doesn't move the camera a lot and Ah. he relies hugely on individual performances. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, you know, he's a master and if he
0: can do that, that is a real guideline for me. Excellent. So was it very different to work with dancers versus actors? Well, you know, I found that very
1: interesting. The dancers are extremely welcoming of acting exercises, And their concentration is very strong and very pure because they've had such discipline live and they've had to try to understand things very quickly and to take them on. So I found that by using a few very simple acting exercises, that they were really very uh, open and many of them were extremely able.
0: You know, most dance schools don't teach acting. And so they sort of learn it on the fly, as it were. In conservatories, you're taught your technique, primarily. And in ballet, I think that that's changing. But certainly, historically, acting lessons haven't been part of it. Although I think given how important narrative works are for the ballet field, that is a good change that that's being introduced more and more. Yeah, that sounds great. When you and Annabelle were working, how did you come about talking about the sets and costumes You know, how did you envision that? And you worked with Nikki Turner, I believe.
1: Yes, well, Nikki Turner is a theater designer that I had worked with before. And when Annabelle and I were talking about the scenario, we began to realize that we wanted to perform the piece in a very rough space because we were thinking of the play and the ballet as a kind of battleground between Stanley Kowalski and Blanche Dubois as to who... Was finally really going to own Stella, and so we talked about being in a very rough space for it to have a sense of a place where a battle was being fought. But we didn't we didn't have a specific idea of how to do that. And so Nikki Turner very cleverly came up with a design solution, which I think went way beyond you know what we had in mind. I don't really like to talk about it too much because mm. I think it's quite a surprise and a real coup de teatro when various things happen to the set.
0: Oh, excellent. The creative team must have thought a lot about the costuming and how that reflects the characters.
1: Yes, yes, we did. I mean, but that would be similar to what you would do if you were doing a play, you know, Mm -hmm. discussing a character and what sort of colors they would wear and how you're going to tell one person from another when you have so many people on stage, because the chorus is often on stage as well, but you don't have in a in the theater piece. Right. And we came up with this idea of uh, having all the men in one sort of basic costume and all the women in another basic costume, almost as if it was male energy and female energy. Mm. And, then, and then we would add pieces over the top to delineate the characters.
0: Mm. If you don't mind talking about it, because I, I don't know if it spoils things, the beginning of the ballet is very different than the play and very haunting. Yes, well,
1: one of the things which struck us was that Tennessee Williams had originally thought of calling this play The Moth, because he wanted it to be about this very, very delicate creature who was attracted towards light, and that that light was a flame that could destroy her, because in a way he was thinking of it as a kind of a sexual as desire, which he was attracted to desire. And so that was one of the images we immediately decided we wanted to start with, was a young girl reaching up towards the light and wearing a very filmy costume, you know, as if she was really a moth. Not that the audience would necessarily know that, but that was the starting point for her story.
0: Well, Blanche is such an incredibly important character, depending on who you are and how you read the play the influence of a woman's voice and the creative process in this, I think, is incredibly important because it brings out a different way of seeing Blanche and the situation of what she was thrust into in that time period. And you had this creative female team. Did that feel different from working with a man? Did you and Annabelle feel like you needed to bring a very specific women's voice to this?
1: Well, I think that probably happened automatically. You know, I don't think either of us sat down and thought, let's tell it from a woman's point of view. But I've always been very aware with that play that because Marlon Brando so famously played Stanley Kowalski, who was supposed to be an extremely brutal character, the way that he played it brought a lot of pathos to the part. I think because uh, Brando always came across as a wounded animal, even when he was being violent or nasty. And so the audience would always fall in love with him. And I thought it was always, I think it's always very difficult in the play for the audience to really uh, fall in love with Blanche and see how deeply Tennessee Williams cared about her. Because by the time we meet her, she's an alcoholic and she's lying. Uh, she's dishonest, a lot of people don't believe her stories, and she's desperate, you know, so it's very difficult sometimes, I think, for an audience to have sympathy with her. And one of the things that happened, which we hadn't realized was going to happen, is that because we start with her backstory when she's a young girl, the audience goes with her story, and by the time she meets Stanley Kowalski, they really do see things from her point of view, and they might be fascinated by him, but I don't think they fall in love with him and think she's a bit of a pain in the neck, which can happen when you're watching the play.
0: Mm-hmm. It's also interesting to me, given the time that the play was written, how we view patriarchy and marriage doesn't always end happily. And that's certainly true in this story. And <laughs> But how we see the constraints against women in mid-century America, we probably yes. see that differently today than when it was first produced.
1: Absolutely. It's very much a period piece, isn't it?
0: Sadly, those themes continue. Well, progress has happened. Not complete progress has happened for women, for sure.
1: Yes. The score was commissioned? Yes, the score was commissioned. And it's a composer called Peter Salem, who I have worked with for many years in the theater. And basically, we gave him the scenario, and the choreographer literally said to him how many minutes each sequence needed, And he went away and composed it. As he said, it was like composing for a film, but the film had to be in his head because, of course, he didn't know what we were going to be doing, you know. So he had to imagine the action in his head. And he found it difficult, but I I think he achieved it brilliantly.
0: Excellent. So to close, what do you want the audiences to walk out of the theater thinking or feeling?
1: Oh, gosh. I don't think I have a strong feeling of what I would want them to think or feel so much as that I would want them to have a very many layered experience. For me it's all about whether or not you can really engage people in the story and bring the story to
0: life. Well, it's certainly a new take on this work. I found it incredibly moving and I certainly hope our audiences do because I believe they will because there's nothing like being in a theater and interacting as an audience member with the performers on stage. You know, that is the Absolutely. beauty of live theater. Yeah, yeah. And it's never the same every performance, something's different. No, that's right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Okay, okay, uh, thank you very much. And thank you for this wonderful work. We can't wait.